stand with me? I want to read Psalm 107. It's a super long passage, so uh, settle into your stance. Uh, don't let your knees lock because you'll fall over. Um, you know how that works. We're going to just read our passage this morning, and then we'll walk through it. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in the desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul. He is filled with what is good. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled. There was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for his wonders to the sons of men, for he has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. Fools. Because of their rebellious way, and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them. He delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Those who go down to the sea in ships... Who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens, they went down to the depths, their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man who were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed, and they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. He changes rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. And there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. And he blesses them and they multiply greatly. And he does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in a pathless waste. But he sets the needy securely on high away from affliction. And he makes his families like a flock. The upright see it and are glad. But all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. You may be seated. Praise be to God and thank you for joining me in honoring his word. This psalm keys on a Hebrew word, chesed, that if you've been around here, you know is a favorite of mine and a key word, a special gift, a concept in scripture in the Old Testament because it's a Hebrew word. We did a five-week series at one point just talking about this word. It means love, but not just any love. It's not an emotional love. 
It's usually translated covenant love or a committed love or loyal love. Your passage might translate it loving kindness. If you see that in the NAS, that's chesed. If you see steadfast love in the ESV and some other translations, that is going to be chesed. That is what we come this morning to ponder, to meditate on, and to invite the Lord to use to draw us near. First, the psalmist tells us this morning, as he is going to extol the wonders of God's covenant love, first he tells us, for those who are his children, that God can always find you. He can always find you. The opening three verses, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. There it is. That's the word chesed. It's going to lead out this psalm, and it's going to close up this psalm, and it's going to reappear, reappear at every key point to mark the progression of this psalm. It is a meditation on the wonders of God's covenant love. Don't know if anybody here might need that this morning. Notice immediately the psalmist tells us about the reach of God's committed love. There's nowhere that you can go to get away from it. Middle of verse 2, we are those who, who say thanks because God is good for his covenant love is everlasting. The redeemed say so. In the middle of verse 2, these are those who he's redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Is there anyone too strong to take you out of the hand of the heavenly father who has covenanted himself to you? Now, you, you know Romans 8. You know that neither height nor depth and death nor life and angels nor demons nor nothing else in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so here, even the hand of the adversary, be that a human or a supernatural spiritual adversary, can take you from his covenant love. Verse 3, gathered from the lands from east and west and north and south, south. Nowhere can you go. The psalmist announces for us the message he wants us to ponder because of covenants. If you have come to be washed in the blood of his son, if you have come just by faith to receive what he's done on your behalf and lay down your defenses that you could ever be good enough, but received by grace as a gift what he has done, then the father has made a covenant with you. And he has set his love on you. By the way, Deuteronomy 7 is a great little passage where it talks about God setting his love on Israel. That's the idea. It wasn't that he woke up and he felt a little loving today. So I think I'll do some nice things. No, when he sets his love through covenant, he, he commits, commits himself. He, he binds himself. And he can't ever back out of it because he can never break his own word. It's that that we're talking about this morning. Nowhere can you go. Now what he's going to give us for the bulk of this psalm is four examples. He's going to give us four groups of people who know this covenant love. And they are in different phases of life, different challenges. They may be the same person overlapping two or three of these distresses and troubles at once. They certainly are any and all of us at different points in our lives. His message then, even it's here in the first three verses, but we'll see it reiterated 
then is simply this. Under no circumstance shall the Lord fail the children of his covenant love who call to him in their trouble shall know his wondrous acts and speak of his faithful ways. So to prove that, four real life examples. First, the psalmist takes us to the desert wastelands. Verses four through nine, he says, seek the Lord as the father of your way. Seek the Lord as the father of your way. We see covenant love bringing the empty wanderer home. Notice verse four, they wandered in the wilderness his people, in a desert region. These are a people without direction. This is a time in life where either through choices or else just because of the confusion of the day, our own ignorance or some other distraction, deception, or something else, we find ourselves in a season where, where it's dry, where it's empty, where it's lonely, isolated, the word wilderness would, for the Old Testament believer, bring to mind how the nation wandered for 40 years, even though they knew they had a land of promise. Yet in their case, because of their rebellion, God said, you will wander and you will suffer. In this case, there's no note in this opening description in this group that they have failed. The other um, note, though, is in uh, when it says desert region, the other picture behind this is not just the wandering nation in the wilderness, uh, but this is language from the, the opening verse of scripture, where everything was null and void, or empty and waste. That's the idea here. They wandered in a wilderness and in a desert region. There's emptiness here, and we even as believers at times can face it especially if we get spun up, overwhelmed, maybe just because we don't have the answers. And then when we wander, if we stay in that place, in that state too long, then what comes after that? We, we begin to feel the emptiness. Notice verse 5, they were hungry and they were thirsty. They needed something to fill their soul, but they didn't have it. They weren't nourishing themselves. They weren't feasting on him. This is a longing, a searching, a never being satisfied. What are they looking for? Back up in verse 4, they didn't find a way to an inhabited city. What they're looking for is a habitable, a habitable place, a civilized place, a good place where, where we can put down roots and, and create a legacy and and work the land and experience the fruits, right? All of that that was promised in the promised land. Just a picture of our eternity with the Lord. And we as wanderers on this earth wander empty, looking for a home meant to be found in him. But if we find ourselves in a season where we wander, where's the end game of that? End of verse 5. It's weariness. Their soul fainted within them. It's an apathy. It's a despair and a discouragement, a frustration at all things. Who even cares anymore? Maybe this could be because there's, there's no effort. 
Maybe this could be because this is people who are completely apathetic. Maybe this could be us in a season when we're just done trying. But I'm more inclined to see in this wandering, trying to find this actual feeling of hunger and thirst. I'm more inclined to see effort. I'm more inclined to see desire. I'm more inclined to see direction, but the problem is when we put it in all the wrong places. And we're still just wandering in trackless, dry, parched lands. No amount of sex will ever satisfy. No amount of pornography will ever be enough. I've now had my fill. I never need to look again. No amount of power or authority no amount of, of position, if only I had control over this. No amount of esteem, if only people thought well of me. No amount of acceptance or acclaim. No amount of resources, if only I could be in control of this, buy this, use these in a way that I might want. No amount will ever satisfy. It's all been tried. It's all been found wanting. Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy magazine, he didn't create pornography. It was around a long time before Hugh Hefner. But he sure did make it popular. He sure did make it mainstream. I think he succeeded beyond his wildest imaginations. He came along in the most darkly perfect timing in our culture and society to do what he did. He had it all as far as sex and pleasure could go. He died a perverted empty shell of a man. Human philosophers revered by men who have mocked the name of Christ or even religion as a whole, many took their own lives because they were convinced where not to look for their home in God, in a Savior. And so they sought it in their wisdom, in their brilliance, in their acclaim, in their fame. And they ended up so empty, they tragically killed themselves as a result. Any number we could put in that category. Many, many over the centuries have worn themselves out to reject a savior and make their own way. But there is no way. There is no way out of the trackless, parched land Everything else is dry and dusty and empty. What about for the child of God when he gets lost, when she strays in a wide world apart from Christ? <laughs> she still has one that calls her home. He still has one that calls his name. And that's the point. No matter how far you wander, covenant love, he has set his committed love upon you. So there's no place too far. Verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his chesed and for his wonders to the sons of men. What is the deliverance in this case? So much fun to just see how, how perfect God is in his provision. Deliverance in all four cases, but unique to the need. Here, what does it say in 
verse 7. He led them by a straight way. What is, there, what is that the answer to? That's the answer for wanderers, right? Direction. You will hear a voice behind you, Scripture says, telling you this way. I will never leave you nor forsake you, the Lord Jesus says. Romans chapter 8, all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He is ever leading his people. The question is only if we follow. And so he gives a straight way to those who even in their parched estate cry out. In addition, the answer in verse 7 is he gives them an inhabited city. He brings them home, right? He brings us home. Why is it that I would banner this section, seek the Lord as the father of your way? You already know. You're like, well, because it's Father's Day, right? I mean, we kind of had to, right? Well, sure. But let me tell you the phrases that he uses here in Psalm 107 are some of the same phrases that through the prophet Jeremiah, God promised to his people a people who had rebelled and would find themselves in exile. And he says to them, one day I'll regather you. We've already seen that in verse 3. But also this idea that we've mentioned here in verse 7. See if you can catch it. This is clearly the context of covenant love. Uh, if you want to jot it down, I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 31, verses 8 and 9. Behold, I am bringing them from the north country, and I will gather them from the remote parts of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and she who is in labor with child together. A great company. They will return here. With weeping they will come, and by supplication I will lead them. I will make them walk by streams of waters on a straight path in which they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. By covenants, seek the Lord as father of your way. If you find yourself in that parched place, when I find myself wandering in all fields, Empty, there's a father who calls us home and in covenant love will receive us. How else does he redeem? One other note, notice how this section ends. He has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Elsewhere in the scriptures, the psalmist will pray, Lord, satisfy us with your loving kindness. Would your covenant fatherly love be that which meets the need of our souls? And that's what the psalmist is saying here. Seek the Lord as father of your way. For the empty wanderer, covenant love brings you home. That's the first group. Now we go from the scene of those lost in a wide world to those trapped in an iron cell. Secondly, seek the Lord as the breaker of your chains. Second group, 10 to 16, seek the Lord as the breaker of your chains because covenant love also releases the prisoner from his bondage. What we find in this section is this group is not quite so innocent, but they've brought their captivity upon themselves. The scene is a darkened prison cell. How many times do you see darkness? For the sake of time, I'm just going to hit highlights. I'm not going to even reread every verse. Verse 10, it's twice there. Those who dwelt in darkness in the shadow of death. Verse 14, twice there. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death four times. 
in these verses does he speak of its darkness? How many times bondage, at least five, verse 10, prisoners in misery and chains, two there in verse 10, one in 14, he brought them out of darkness, the shadow of death, and broke their bands apart, and then the end of the deliverance will re reiterate the state that they were in to begin with in verse 16, two more times, he shattered the gates of bronze, he cut the bars of iron asunder. How did they get into this state? 11, they rebelled against the word of God. They spurned the counsel of the Most High. This is not a people who were ignorant of the ways of God, not a people who did not have his word, not a people who did not even understand which way was a right way, but they spurned and they said, no, I don't think I'll have that way. I think I, think I know a pretty good way. I'll have my own way. And in the end, their choices led them to slavery, led them into a tiny, dark place, a prison. And that's how it is with sin, right? Sin never delivers what it promises. Or as a pastor, I knew when I was younger, we never find in sin what we go into sin to find. I'll add to that, but in the end, we do find that we're now enslaved. That's what we find in our sin, slavery. How about for you today? Do you have patterns? Patterns that you hate. And in many cases, I have to be honest. Lord, I'm here because of my choices. I didn't listen. I knew better. I knew better than to do this, but I thought I knew better than to do that. And so here I am. Addictions can come in many different forms. Some can even become physiological. Some are psychological. All have a spiritual component. But seek the Lord as the breaker of your chains. Here, he describes the, the child of God. He speaks of the, the one who through covenant love can come home. Now let me pause and make an extended application if I may. The same dynamic that's described here, though I think in context is speaking to the child who's in covenant, is the same dynamic that rescues us to bring us into covenant. For those of us who don't know Christ, Jesus said, all who sin are slaves of sin. Every member of the human race is a slave of sin or a slave to God. Romans also further reiterates that there's only two options. So before coming to know Christ, we must be delivered from our addictions. We must be delivered from our prison. And if you seek the Lord as the breaker of your chains and you come to him on the basis of the sacrifice of his son, the only thing that he will make a covenant agreement with you on that foundation, then he will deliver like he delivers here. 13. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his chesed. What's the deliverance? Out of darkness and out of chains. You want to break patterns? You'll never break destructive patterns 
without the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to first deliver you to be his child. There are no sin pattern that you will ever break, not in any meaningful way, not for any length of time. You might turn over a new leaf. You might get a new workout program. You might get really strong on self-help and New Year's you know, resolutions for a bit. But if the underlying issue is not dealt with through the sanctifying power of Christ, that thing is just going to resurface somewhere else or it's going to come back with seven more demons and they'll be angry. But Christ delivers. Christ breaks. And you will fight and I will fight for the rest of my life against sin so long as you are in this flesh, but there is real deliverance. There is real light brought to us when we come out. There's real freedom. Charles Wesley in his great hymn, And Can It Be? My family knows they are tasked to sing that at my funeral, Lord willing. Third verse, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, and I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Seek the Lord as the breaker of your chains, because in covenant love, the wonders he does for those who will call out to him. Thirdly, then, we move now from a self-inflicted bondage to a self-inflicted sickness. Thirdly, then, seek the Lord as the healer of your infected spirit. Seek the Lord as the healer of your infected spirit. What we see in this group is the covenant love heals the rebellious of his afflictions. 17. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted, their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. There is a physical component to the struggling of this particular group of people, but it started as a spiritual problem. Fools, rebellious, iniquities. I could, I could talk to you about word studies on each of the Hebrews here, but, I, but, but this is great translation. We get enough in the English to know full well. This is a group of people who have, who have given God the, uh, hey, talk to the hand sign, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, what a talk to the hand. I'm doing my own thing. And so as a result, they were afflicted. God brought an affliction, an affliction of, of, of spirit first, a, a soul affliction, an infection spiritually. And it may have even have... Uh, gone to the place of having a physical physical component. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Doesn't mean that all sickness is a result of sin, no. Um, but in this case, there is the possibility of a physical component. But make no mistake, there's an infected spirit. This is the arrogant hearted who walking in his arrogance and spurning the Lord's gracious invitation to come home comes to despair. Even food has lost its taste. Even the simple pleasures of daily life are not even a joy anymore. Corrupted by willful rebellions, this third is a group of people decaying from the inside out. And yet, and here's the point, 
The Lord God answers. You would think, yeah, right, they deserve it, right? Justice, right? He's a holy God. They've spurned him. They've rejected They wouldn't listen. He's going to give them the hammer. Chesed is a different economy. 19, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distresses. 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. Notice the means of their deliverance. We're actually told what it is in verse 20. He sent his word. The effect of his deliverance is that he heals them. This is why I think the idea of infection is strong. Sin will leave us in prison, but sin will also leave us decaying if we walk in it too long. But here, healing comes, but it comes through God's word. From myriad destructions, from myriad traps, they are delivered, verse 20 says. It's, it's plural here. All different kinds of infection, all different ways healing comes. And these are self-inflicted wounds, and yet the Lord doesn't care. I am here to heal your infected spirit. I am Father. I am covenant keeper. The word of God heals from the inside out, doesn't it? Psalm 19 is one of the many places we could turn to that speaks of this. Speaking of God's word with four different phrases tells us the work of God's word in four different ways. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clean, enlightening the eyes. You feel sick and infected? The word of God gives a sparkle, gives a twinkle to your eyes. When you come to him for healing and you cry out in your distress and he heals you by sending forth his word, this is why we read the word of God all the time, as much as you need, maybe every day, maybe multiple times a day. Maybe you meditate on it. It's fitting that that is the means here of his deliverance for a people who have been rebellious or even the last group who specifically had spurned his counsel of his word. So then, notice something unique about this group. It's fitting the close, verse 22, of how he exhorts them. Let them also offer, offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. It's fitting that this section of all of the section would end with them going up to the temple to offer sacrifices. It ends with repentance and renewal and atonement and worship and peace. The peace offering prescribed by Leviticus was a come and sit down at my feet, come and sit at my table, and let's share a meal together of thanksgiving and have table fellowship and I'll just, I'll sit across the table from you, Yahweh says. How fitting for this section for a people who've been made whole. Seek the Lord as healer of your infected spirit. So here we see in this third group, powerful forces from within. In the fourth and final group, we see powerful forces from without assailing us. Seek the Lord 
as the keeper of your troubled soul. The psalmist encourages us this morning, seek the Lord as the keeper of your troubled soul. Because covenant love settles those who are storm-tossed by the thunderous deep. Here we have a people starting in verse 23 who have been heaved by a monstrous sea, powerful forces beyond their control from without, neither, neither due to their fault nor due to their um, choice or, or even their own effect or influence. The thunderous deeps are the raging seas and they are part and parcel of life in this world. Four groups, the middle two groups, there's mention of their sin. But the first and last, those two groups, no mention. Just sometimes part of life is a trackless wasteland. And sometimes part of life are the trackless seas. And they heave. 23, those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters. Huh. Notice the point here is not that they're, they're guilty. They're just, they're just going about doing their job, right? I mean, we, just, we were just driving to work, you know? I mean, on the ship, but we were just driving to work, man. It's what we do. The point here is, is not their fault so much. It's just the reality of the circumstance in which they find themselves. And every single one of us will find ourselves in those circumstances at some point in our lives. Derek Kidner does a, a great job, so I won't improve upon it. I'll just quote him in bringing out, I think, the force of this. He says, uh, the hurricane shakes us into seeing that in a world of gigantic forces, we live by permission, not by good management. <laughs> I love that. Oh, but it's so hard because most of the time I figure my life just has to do with my own good management. But the reality is there are forces far beyond my power to control or influence at all. We get a diagnosis and we're heaved. It changes everything. We have a relationship that gets wounded and it begins to soar. Our financial support crashes through no fault of our own and, and now the seas are raging around us and it is not easy to walk away. A tragedy occurs of any number of different kinds in our lives. 24, they've seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. He spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Do you hear the storm tossing? Their soul melted away in their misery. This is a people who already know the majesty of Yahweh. It says in 24, they've seen the works of the Lord, his wonders in the deep. That's the same phrase that's used several times elsewhere after the people get saved and they say thank the lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders among men and what's the wonders there his saving wonders these are people who just go to work every day and they go you know what i have respect for the power of the sea and i have respect for the god in his majesty who created because he created because he's really powerful these just show his wonders but then a storm comes. And I'm sorry, we, um, we might not find it easy. But scripture doesn't apologize. What's the cause of the storm? It's the Lord. 
And the point of that, I think, for us as believers is to know that it is with him that we must reckon above, below, beneath, after, before, anything else. We must reckon with him. Whatever the storm is, whatever the intermediate cause, whatever sin of man, whatever foolishness, whatever brokenness of our world has brought us into that place where the seas rage and the deep is thunderous and we are heaved about and our soul is troubled. Whatever the intermediate cause, we have to deal with the Lord, right? Notice that they are overmatched. They're beyond their skill. Verse 27, they reeled and they staggered like a drunken man and they were at their wits end. In fact, the literal translation of the words there is that their wisdom was swallowed up. I like that phrase. Are you tempted to want to make it work in your own power? There's, there is a time to work hard, to get focus, uh, to minimize distractions, to step forward, right? To act with courage. Absolutely. But there are other things that none of those will ultimately fix. And this is one of those scenarios. I am so grateful that the Lord knows the human soul. I'm so grateful, aren't you? That he knows that there are things that will toss us that go beyond what we can handle. Psalm 103 says that the Lord knows our frame. He is mindful that we are just dust. So what in your life has been too big for your skills lately? What in your life has been too much for your wisdom to figure out how to fix? What in your life has left you overmatched? Well, if you know that thing, then the good news is we do what they did. Verse 29, the psalmist tells us, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. Sorry, that was 28. 29, he caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed, and then they were glad because they were quiet, so he guided them to their desired haven. What is the peculiar deliverance for this group? What is your hope and mine if we're going to turn to our Father of covenant love, if we're going to cry out to him and say, Lord, deliver me because I'm tossed, because this is too much, I'm overmatched. What is our hope? Well, here's the deliverance. Notice in verse 29, the ways of the sea were hushed. And then 30, they were glad because they were quiet. Question, who was quiet? Is it the waves or is it the people? I think the answer is yes. I'm more inclined to go with the latter because the waves may still crash. If the Lord doesn't settle his child, it don't matter how calm the waters are. But if the Lord settles his child, it doesn't matter how much the storm rages. Notice also their deliverance. They were glad because they were quiet. I don't want to leave that too quick. Just to be able to go to the Lord on your knees and pray, cast your burdens, cry out. Say, Lord, I don't even know what to do. It's not because they were so wise. It's not because they, they prayed, you know, you know, 50 minute long prayers. It's not because they did it perfectly. They just cried out. And he brought them quiet. 
But he's not done. The rest of their deliverance, the end of verse 30, so he guided them to their desired haven. How did this start? They had no control over where the ship was being driven. They had no power over these forces that were tossing them, and they couldn't get where they wanted to go. But in the end, when they cried out, you know what? He, he brought them home. He brought them to a desired haven. One, he brought them to the place that they ultimately wanted to go anyway, which, by the way, your desired destination the destination most desired by your soul may or may not be the destination that you think is the destination of where you want to go. But when you arrive there in the Lord, you'll go, this is what I wanted. And it's a desired haven because in that place there's safety. In that place there is his protection, his presence, and his peace. Under no circumstance, the psalmist tells us, shall the Lord fail? The children of his covenant love, who call to him in their trouble, shall know his wondrous acts and speak of his faithful ways. And let me just give you four quick examples, he tells us. And so the takeaway from all of that is to seek the Lord, and here seek the Lord as keeper of your troubled soul. Whether, whether your distress is of your own making, or whether your distress is something that you have no fault in whatsoever. This is the power of covenant love. To settle. To call home. To renew. To heal. To set free. Now the psalmist is going to give the word as he closes out. And I will move quickly for the sake of our time. Give a word about how he is still this same God today. And still doing these same wonders for his people today. 33 to 42, see your God at work. Believer, see your God at work. What we have here are the reversals of Yahweh in time and space that still happen throughout the course of, of every civilization and every time. We may not see it perfectly, but he is at work doing it. And if he doesn't do it in time and space, he will absolutely do it in eternity. Two verses, he gives reversals that are from good to bad, and then he gives the reason why he would take that which is good, and he would curse it. 33, he changes rivers into a wilderness, springs of water into a thirsty ground. By the way, do you hear some language that we've heard before? Huh? Some dryness and some filling and refreshment? It's all through this section. I think the same dude wrote this part who wrote the other part. He changes rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. If we are like those who spurn, if we are like those who seek to, thanks but no thanks, I'll do it my way, if our wandering doesn't bring us to an emptiness that brings us to repentance that leads us to God, if the huge circumstances of life don't toss us upon the rocks of his covenant love, then he will curse whatever he needs to if necessary. And he will be good to do it because there is an eternity that hangs in the balance. Then he's going to give seven verses of reversing the bad to the good. Notice the difference of emphasis, right? Just a quick warning, a couple of verses from good to bad. Seven verses of bad to good, and I'll just give you the flavor now that you know what we're looking for. He changes a wilderness because some of us wander there where it's dry into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. 
and there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city, right? You're reading all the same phrases that we've seen all along, and he says, this is the God who does this over and over and over. He only names the reason why he does it. He only names the kind of people he does it for twice in these 10 long verses. Verse 36, he calls them the hungry. Verse 41, he calls them the needy. He tells us how Yahweh reverses things for the wicked. And then he exhorts us in how Yahweh reverses things for the hungry and the needy. Being hungry and needy ain't bad if we're also prayerful. If we also run to covenant love. If we know those wonders. And the point of all of this section is that this is our God, he says. This is our God. This is his transforming power at work still yet today. He still does this. 42, the upright see it and they're glad. But all the unrighteous shut their mouth. Pause and consider his loving kindness. Pause and see his good work. If you hate God, then you won't have anything to say when he makes your way more difficult. When you stand before him one day. But if you know the Lord and you see his goodness, even to those who have shot themselves in the foot, and he says, let me bandage that. Let me, let me pour some, some cleaning, healing, you know, on that wound. Let me give you some balm. Sorry, I need a nurse up here to give me some words. Anyway, let me come and cleanse that infection and make you whole. Then we see it and we are glad. I want you to notice also the, the contrast that he gives here. The adversaries have nothing to say, but his children, when they see it, they have testimonies to speak of. I know that verse 42 doesn't say speak, but it does say that the bad guys don't. So I just think implicitly that the good guys do. But I don't even need it implicitly because it's explicit. Flip back with me or look up to the beginning of the chapter, I just want you to look at the twos with me really quick, and I want you to notice the focus on speaking, on the testimony of God's people. Verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say that he is good, that his loving kindness endures forever. Verse 22, let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. 32, let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. Do you get the point at each climactic scene almost, at each climactic moment after coming out of the redemption, his people are to speak of his testimonies. And he still works that way today. And those who hate him won't have anything to say. Those who know him have plenty to be glad about. We have songs to sing and stories to tell. That's what chesed produces. Finally, then, he closes where he began. Ponder the many works of covenant love. Ponder the many works of covenant love. And that's exactly what we've done for the last few minutes. Nothing more and nothing less. We've listened to the psalmist. We've pondered the wonders of his covenant, of the Lord's covenant love. And we are now well reminded of these things as we should be. This, in his covenant commitments, in his love is what draws us ever closer to him. 43, 
who is wise. Let him give heed to these things. Let him, let him consider and listen and then, and then consider or ponder or meditate. Let him listen to these things so they don't just, yeah, I nod my head up and then I get up and I walk away. No, let him listen so that I respond in kind to what this call is. And let me ponder, Lord, where do I need covenant love today? Because you do wonders. There is no one too far away. As a child of God, who knows a good father? Because of chesed, Lord, you come and you rescue. It doesn't matter where I have wandered or what has put me in this place. Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all good things? Under no circumstance shall the Lord fail. The children of his covenant love who call to him in their trouble shall know his wondrous acts and speak of his faithful ways. Stand with me and let's close in prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we do stand in awe of the wonder of your acts and of your good works. We stand in awe of your power, even over the waves. And Lord, all that crashes in our life and tosses us about drives us to you Lord, for this is our hope and our home because you have promised and you've sealed it with blood and so you will not let any child of yours who calls out in the name of Christ to be left. Lord, we make choices and we bear the sickness and the infection of those. We spurn and our rebellion leaves us in chains. And Lord, sometimes we just wander in a parched world. We need you to bring us home. Lord, I pray, might these words, might your word, and might you, Holy Spirit, together call to your people to bring them back to that sweet place in covenant love where they know you in all the grace and power and majesty and glory that you are. We ask this, Lord, for the sake of your name and for our good. All in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.